Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. If you could walk out of here this morning knowing absolute for, for sure what your purpose in life is, I hope it would be helpful. But before we jump into that, I need to ask this question. How many of you, and there's going to be a couple little uh, opportunities to feedback this morning, so don't be afraid. How many of you, by a show of your hand, could say that you know your purpose in life and you could articulate it uh, right now? How many of you would say you absolutely know? I would say, wow, this is a very timely sermon this morning. So I would say about a third of you know your purpose. That would mean two-thirds of you do not know your purpose. Uh, so pay attention. Play, pay close attention. This could theoretically, in, in theory, be the most important sermon you've ever heard in your whole life. That's putting a lot of pressure on, on myself. But I, I, believe, I believe you can know. But before we get to that, I did a little research. And uh, there's plenty of people on the Internet that will tell you what they think the purpose of life is. So I want to read a couple of these to you. Here's what one person said answering the question, why are we here? This is what they said. Your own purpose of existence is your life goals. They can be material or emotional. The purpose is based on individual values, evaluations, and experiences you've had in your life. Throughout life, ideas about the purpose of existence can change. So this person essentially is saying your purpose is what you make it. You choose. You choose your purpose. All right, so that's, that's one approach. Here's what somebody else said. This was, I kind of liked this one. This person says, to be brutally honest, we are all just rotting meat. We are just random things formed out of nature, but we consider ourselves the ruler, to, uh, consider ourselves the rule makers of the world. We have formed our own ideas and conceptions about the universe. For example, good and bad are just notions of the human mind and have nothing to do with the universe, or in other words, good and bad don't even exist. We live in a reality shaped by our own ideals and we try to find meaning out of meaninglessness. But the universe doesn't care. It moves on in its own path regardless of what we want. If we sit down thinking deep about life, we will end up knowing that everything is futile. So let's not venture deep into the meaning of life and who we are because it's something beyond human perception. Just enjoy each moment and smoke weed every day. So there you go. This person's essentially saying meaning can't be found, so just do whatever you want to do, right? So here's the thing. We have to be honest that many of us, even sitting in this room today, embrace a little bit of this kind of thinking. That we, we have this idea, well, people will say, hey, you do you, uh, I'll do me. Uh, if you watch any Hallmark movies, Hallmark's on our TV quite a bit uh, at home. And uh, you'll hear this phrase, just follow your heart. Worst advice, let me just say, just let me say, anybody that's telling you just follow your heart, do not do it. Okay, do not do it. But again, that's people's approach to life. Like you're, just follow your heart and you'll find uh, what you want to find. So we have to acknowledge that to a degree we are guilty of falling into this kind of thinking. And the reality is even people that disregard God altogether still have to, have to rob 
our worldview because they know deep down people know that there is a purpose. There has to be a meaning to why I'm here. There, I'm, I'm here, I just can't, I mean, I, I acknowledge that there's people that say that we're just random accidents. But even then, I think people recognize there's just something uh, deeper, that their life has to have uh, meaning and purpose. So for me, I, I believe that meaning and purpose can be found. It's not something that we create in ourselves. I believe that human beings were created by the one true God in his image to be in relationship with him. I believe this because of the explanatory power of the creation I see around me, of the, of the soul, the spirit that God's put within me, of the revelation of God through Jesus Christ in his word. I, I, I recognize that I am more than just a random accident, that my life has purpose. And that this truth, the fact that God created me in his image, is foundational to what, what I want to build the purpose of my life on. So let's look at this a little bit further. And we're going to unpack. So it's, it's one thing to say that you believe purpose can be found. It's another thing to identify, okay, well, Jeff, what is this purpose? Why am I here? What is, what is the purpose for me being here? So we're going to look at that. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is to become a student of the Bible, of God's Word. That you would read it, that you would study it, that you would do your best to understand it, that you would surround yourself with people that can help you understand it better. Because it's through the Word of God that God has, one of the ways that God has revealed himself to us. And so to know the God that created us and loves us is, is one of the first steps to understanding our purpose. So you need to become a student of the Bible. And throughout history, Christian scholars have done their best to look at the Word of God and, and to create tools to help us understand what, what the Bible says and what the truth of our Christian faith is. As early as the first century, Augustine wrote a, a document called the Didache, the Didache was basically a summary of Christian belief and doctrine. By the third or fourth century, we've got the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed that are, you probably are familiar with that talk about, uh, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ his Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. This, these creeds kind of summarized our, our Christian faith. And then by the 17th century, we've got the Westminster uh, Confession, that is a series of questions and answers that scholars put together to help people understand their faith. Now, as Baptists, we don't push a, a lot into creeds and confessions, but they are important because they do summarize our faith. And so I want to look at the first question of the Westminster Confession because it is a, a document that has been uh, consolidated from what God's Word says. And I think this first question is going to help us understand the purpose for our life. So here's the first question in the Westminster Catechism. It says this, what is the chief end of man? That's the question. What is the chief end of man? Here's the answer. The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So there you have it. In one sentence, your purpose as a follower of Christ, as a Christian today, your purpose for your life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, this is consistent 
with what the Bible teaches. So I'm going to run through. These should show up on, on the screen for you. But the, so just so, so you understand that they didn't, the, the people that wrote that catechism didn't just pull that out of the air. This is what Scripture uh, says, some of what Scripture says. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Psalm 86, verse 9 and verse 12, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Peter 4.11 says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Colossians 1.16, for in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And then Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your uh, soul, and with all your strength. That's just a, a sampling. It's, it's, it's pretty clear that that's a safe assumption to say that our purpose is to glorify God. So this morning, as you walk out of here, if nothing else, I want you to, I want you to recognize your life has purpose and your purpose is to glorify God. However, there, there, is, there is a problem. Uh, this does not come naturally for us. If, if you went with your natural instincts, often uh, your natural instincts are not going to help you glorify God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned, everyone, every one of us has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the glory of God is our goal, it's my purpose, but the sin in my life because of the sin in my life, I fall short of that. Paul wrote that in Romans. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we recognize my purpose. I recognize my purpose. I recognize that I'm going to fall short of my purpose often. I recognize my need for Jesus in my life to help me fulfill my purpose. Now, if we, if we will agree that that's our purpose, um, I think we can understand why this sermon series on worship is essential. Because ultimately, the purpose and goal of our life is to be worshipers of God in everything that we do. That everything in my life would bring glory to God. In my job, as a parent... As a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a student, as a neighbor, that I glorify God with my time, with my money, with my abilities, everything that I do would glorify God. So I think this creates a question, this kind of begs a question in our life, okay, if that's my purpose and if that's why I'm here, then how can I best consistently in my life fulfill this purpose? That's my heart. I want, to, I want to do that. I recognize that this is why God's placed me here. How can I do it consistently? 
fantastic question. Last week, Pastor Peter even kind of began to give us an idea that how we handle our money is a very simple way in which we can glorify God. Where we spend it, how we give it, how it impacts our life, those are all questions we could ask ourselves. I want to go a little bit further into this this morning. And I want to look at a passage in the New Testament that I think gives us at least a little bit of practical direction for this. And it's in the book of 1 Peter. So if you would l- uh, pull out your Bible, find 1 Peter chapter 4. While you're doing that, I'll let you know that. Uh, and you're going to find 1 Peter clear at the end of your New Testament. Peter was writing in the first century. He was writing to Christians who were scattered all over the area that were experiencing a pretty good amount of persecution. And he was trying to give them encouragement. He's trying to help them understand how they can live uh, more faithfully uh, their Christian beliefs. And so we get to chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and this is what he has to say. I'm going to pick up at verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. So this is what he says. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, I'm going to stop right there. So this is Peter, disciple Peter, friend of Jesus, foundational person in the church, is saying above all. So this caught my eye when I read it. When I, when I see someone like this saying, hey, above all else, do this. I want to I zone my thoughts in on this. Above all, he says, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter's message gives us at least a little bit of a framework about how we can put into practice our purpose. If my purpose is to glorify God, here's at least some things we can begin to do uh, that would help us worship and give glory to God somewhere other than Sunday morning at 11 a.m., right? I mean, you're doing a great job this morning. Fantastic. Good, good on you for being here. Worship on Sunday morning. Pastor Brian Asbury is going to talk about that, the, the importance of corporate worship fantastic. It's going to be great. But worship is so much bigger than that. Let's talk about how we can worship outside of Sunday morning at 11. So the first thing he says, he says, love each other deeply. This word love here is agape love. This is love that's not driven by emotion. This is love that's driven by a decision, a commitment uh, to seek the best uh, of another person. To offer mercy, forgiveness, because God offered the same thing to us. At you, many times at weddings, I will use this quote I'm going to give you. In fact, just, uh, just a week ago, I had a chance to share this quote from an author. His name is Scott McKnight. And he had come up with a quote for love, or a de- definition, I guess I should say, for love, that I find very helpful. And so his definition says this. Love is a rugged, lifelong commitment to be with and seek the best of another person. And I, I like this definition primarily because of the first part, a rugged, lifelong commitment. Any of you that are trying to love 
with God's kind of love knows that love has to be rugged. If you are married, you understand that marriage requires a rugged kind of love. It's going to be tested. And if you're basing it just on emotion, uh, it's going to fall short. It's much more than just an emotion. It's a commitment. It's a decision uh, of our life to be with and seek the best of another person. This kind of love, that kind of love glorifies God. Now, I want to try to give you an example from my own life of where I have seen these characteristics as we move through this passage from 1 Peter, where I have seen this in practice. And so when I think about loving others deeply, there was two things that came to my mind. One recently was uh, my friend Andrea Mello in the uh, killing of her dad. The way she responded both like on social media and in the service to me was a great example of someone uh, demonstrating that rugged kind of love that required something that went, you know, beyond the emotion of the moment to something deeper uh, in her life. So that, to me that was an example. The other example is I'm aware of a couple of uh, people right now that are just fighting for their marriage. And so just watching them agonize through trying to love this person that is not really returning that kind of love in their life has been an example of this idea of loving each other deeply. So Peter says, to glorify God, love each other deeply. That kind of love glorifies God. The next thing he says is he says, offer hospitality. In other words, hold on to things loosely. Be willing to share. Welcome others into your world. Use the gifts and abilities God's given you as a way to bless others. This is something all of us can do to, to a certain degree. If we hold tightly to things, if, we, if we're unwilling to share, then it's, it's more difficult for, for that blessing to flow out of us. But if we hold things loosely and we're willing to share and we welcome people into our world, um, it's a beautiful thing. Where have I seen this? Uh, I see this in a lot of places, actually, around uh, my, uh, my world. But Jeremy and Lori Blue are uh, a good example of that as they host a group in their house, as they, Jeremy spends time with uh, students in our student ministry. Lori uh, bakes things all the time. Uh, they have been a great example of that uh, in my world. Offering hospitality to others glorifies God. The next thing he talks about is what I'm calling our language, language that inspires and encourages other people, a language that's thought through, carefully thought through. Because often, and you may not be guilty of this, but often I will speak before I think, and this gets me into trouble. So when we talk about language that inspires and encourages, it needs to be thoughtfully considered. It needs to be God-sifted and God-honoring whether it's someone up here teaching and preaching, and we're grateful for uh, Pastor Peter up here on, on the regular uh, doing that and communicating uh, clearly using uh, his words, uh, God using his words to encourage us, but it happens interpersonally as well. Language, our language should glorify God. In my life, I'm thankful for Mike Watkins and Jerry Tritz. These are two of many people, but two people that will... Uh, I know Mike's praying for me regularly, prayed for me this morning. 
Um, they'll say difficult things, even things that aren't always uh, comfortable or things that we want to talk about, but always encouraging. Language that inspires and encourages honors God. Serve in God's strength, he says. Serving one another in the church, certainly. Outside the church, absolutely. When we serve in our community, when we serve in the body of Christ, it honors God. It glorifies God. I wonder, those of you that are currently in a serving role, if you are recognizing that as an opportunity to worship in your own life. And those of you that aren't currently serving, if you might think about expanding your view of what worship is, that worship can happen, should happen, actually does happen as we serve others around us. Where have I seen this? Well, Linda Wilkinson and Elvis Amabit, every Tuesday morning, show up here, even when we don't want them to. No, 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 it's not true. They are here every Tuesday morning to do something. They clean, they organize, they throw things away, but they are here faithfully uh, every, every Tuesday doing that. And again, I could, I could point to uh, dozens of people that are doing this, but this is an opportunity to glorify God with our time, talent, ability as we serve. So, Love each other, offer hospitality, encourage others, serve. To what end? Why would we do this? Why do we do these things? Why do we do, we do it? Because I know if I do this, God's going to love me more. Or I know I'm going to do these things because if I do this, I've got a better chance to making it to heaven when I die. No, please no. Peter says the reason we do this to this end, that God would be praised, that God would be glorified. The reason we do what we do is because our purpose is to bring glory to God. So whatever we do, we're doing it so that God would be glorified. So one great way to look at worship, and, and my good friend Garrett Jones brought this to my attention uh, this week. He, he says... I, I, I feel like worship is kind of like an athletic contest. It's like a full body, full contact part of our faith. It involves our whole body. Not just our mind, but our whole body is engaged with worship. And I think that's right. It's a response to what God has done, to, to the good news of the gospel. It's our response. We've already responded a little bit through music this morning. We're going to do a little bit more in a minute. It's our response to what God has done. I would encourage you actually, and I, I know many of you do, but I know I struggle sometimes just singing songs without really concentrating on what the words are saying. What, what am I singing right now? So I would encourage you to think about that. It's, it's a response to what God has done. Worship is active. It's not passive. We are not the audience. We are not the audience for worship. We are the participants. Again, Brian's going to speak more about this uh, next week. Worship is, a, is an attitude. It's how we engage the world. It's how we engage people. It's an approach to how we live our life. But here's the thing. And what do I do? when a lot of what I do doesn't glorify God. Because I, I have to be honest, as I look at my own situation, as much as I understand my purpose is to glorify God, 
so much of what I do doesn't, right? So much of what I do doesn't glorify God. I don't know if that's true for you, but I'm going to guess that it may be that it is. When I think about what I think about, actions of my life, words that come out of my mouth that don't glorify God, what, am I gonna, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? So the first thing that I want to encourage you about is you're not alone in that. You're not the only one that misses your purpose on the regular, I should say. We all struggle with that. So the first step is confession. Confession is essential. And this is why the gospel is important. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is important for those of you this morning that don't know him, that aren't a Christian yet. The gospel is absolutely essential for your life. But the gospel is also absolutely essential for those of you that do know Jesus. Every day I should be reminded how broken I am and how much I need Jesus. So this idea of confession, it reminds me what God has done in my life and should reorient reorient my life towards worship. Because in my mind, the gospel is the fuel that drives my worship. So as we reflect on what God has done, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, it should lead us right into worship. That confession is important. Then we need to consider your life. What is it that I need to get rid of? What is it in my life? What's currently happening in my life that I just need to, I just need to stop doing? And what things do I need to replace it with that are going to help me to glorify God? We have to consider that carefully and then have the courage to be willing to be obedient and put those things into place. And then the, then the last thing is practice. Practice worship because God is worth it. He's worthy of our worship. Practice worship even when you don't feel like it. There's going to be plenty of times that you're not going to feel in a worshipful mood. Please worship. It's what you were created to do. And then look for ways to worship that are maybe different than your regular Approach. This is wonderful what happens on Sunday morning, but there are a myriad of other ways in which we can worship God together. So I want to finish this morning with this. I want to finish with a story out of the Old Testament. Uh, it's in the book of Haggai. Not a real familiar book, one of the minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. But the background is this. You may recall that there was a time in Israel's history where they, got, they were sent into exile. They were in Babylon uh, in exile. They were there for 70 years. At, that, at the end of the 70 years, uh, the king of Persia uh, sent a remnant, some of the Israelites, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So they went back to Jerusalem and they got started on it. They kind of laid the foundation and then they encountered some opposition. Uh, it, the work got hard, they got discouraged. And it just kind of sat there. Foundation was built, but that was it. And for about 15 years, it just sat just like that. In the meantime, they built themselves really nice houses, got comfortable. Things were great. They were loving life. And Haggai shows up and basically has a message from God saying, listen, you're living in these beautiful houses 
and my house is uh, in rubble. You guys need to get busy and build the house, build my house so that I can be glorified. So they respond with obedience. They get to work, they build it, they finish, they finish uh, the temple, and it's a wonderful thing. But in the middle of the story, uh, there's, there's a passage I want us to, to look at or I want to share with you this morning. It's in Haggai chapter 2, and it uh, thir- starts at verse 13. Uh, and this is what it says, Haggai 2.13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people of Israel. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, and on the 24th day, on the 24th day of the sixth month. I really love the image of God stirring up the spirit of the people. That idea that, that God was at work stirring up people's hearts. So I wonder, church, if we would have the boldness to ask God to stir up our spirit. That you would, that you would personally ask God to stir up your spirit and then respond. What would church look like if we were pursuing our purpose and allowing God to stir our spirit up? So that we could accomplish that purpose. And perhaps this morning God is stirring up your spirit. And maybe you're at the place in your life where you have not even made that decision to become a follower of Jesus. It's impossible. Let me just say it's impossible to glorify God without his presence in our life, without his help in our life. You cannot do it, in other words, in your own strength. It's not going to happen in your own strength. And so um, you may be at that place. And we usually uh, finish our services with the ABCs. And I want to share those with you this morning because we've already gone through it uh, for the most part. The first A is admit. Admit that I'm a sinner. We've already talked about Romans 3.23, that all of us here this morning, no one's excluded, no, no exception. We are all sinners. And have fallen short of the glory of God. But B, if we believe, John 3.16 says that God loved the world so much that he sent his son that whoever would believe on his name, believe on him, would have eternal life. And see that we choose to follow him. Romans, Romans 10 says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the son of God, we'll be saved. It's as simple as that. So this morning, I don't know, my question is, maybe you're here this morning and God is stirring up your spirit and you've never made that decision uh, to follow Christ. And if that's you this morning, here's what I would, I would like to know, just by a show of your hand, if there's someone here this morning that would say, that's me, I need to make that decision in my life today. If you would just stick your hand up in the air. Let me pray for us. God, so grateful for who you are. And God, we acknowledge that we are, um, that we fall short of our purpose to give you glory. And so we're, we're thankful for the, the truth that you, your forgiveness uh, 
meets us in that moment and that even when we fall short in our own efforts that we can rest on the truth of your good news. And so, God, it's my prayer that you would stir up our spirit, our spirits this morning, that there would be a sense of your presence that has in our lives that's different than it has been in the past, that we would recognize as we walk out of this place that we walk out different with a purpose, with an absolute for sure purpose that this is what my life is about. And that as we move through this week, the remainder of our life, that our life would bring you glory. So God, we thank you for that, the truth of that. Make this a church where that happens, certainly on Sunday mornings, but even beyond. That people would recognize something special is happening here because you have stirred us up and we recognize that you want to use us in a special way. So God, we're grateful for that. Meet us now even in this time of worship as we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.